I am ready to start the interview. The, the interview is over. Oh. Robert, you've been combative, defensive, and completely unhinged. But somehow you expect us to believe you are completely innocent. That would be ideal, yes. <laughs> and now I humbly await your decision, Miss Jail King. What? My name is Gail King with a G. So you're not the Jail King? <laughs> then what I'm doing here? Boy, you are not right. So, you think I made things worse? Yes, you definitely made them worse. Scale of one to ten, how much worse? Thirteen. So is that the highest? All right, fine. I guess there's only thing, one thing left to say that, J.O. King. Live you from New what? York! It's... <laughs> it's over, fool. Oh. Right here. Live from New York! Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 44, Episode 15 of SNL with host Idris Elba and musical guest Khalid. I'm John Murray and with me as always is comedy aficionado and embattled R&B megastar Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlpodcast.com. If you're enjoying our show, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early ad-free access to each new podcast episode as well as many other exclusive member rewards. It's your support that makes the cast possible, and we are so thankful to everyone who's already pitched in. To learn more, go to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast. All right, enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, Idris Elba. Well, Steve, uh, we want to keep things moving kind of quick tonight. I'm on a bit of a time crunch. So it was a light news week, which kind of makes it easy to dispense with any of the upfront banter that we might be inclined to do and just jump right into the show. You ready to go? Yeah, I'm not in the mood for any of that anyway. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, let's do it. Cold open a CBS news special. Gail King interviews R. Kelly. Got to hand it to Leslie for uh, holding it together. Aside from that, I thought Keenan was fantastic. He really took a lot of the cringe out of it. Mm -hmm. You know, he was very recognizably uh, hitting the same notes as that tantrum. <laughs> if you've seen it, it was definitely a, a, an honest portrayal. Right. Uh, but a little easier to watch, which Keenan is good at doing. So uh, made it a little bit more palatable for a comedic audience. Mm -hmm. And uh, I thought it was a good spin. And uh, obviously they took advantage of R. Kelly being a singer and taking his <laughs> style for his inner monologues. Yeah. It was an all right uh, departure from a more political type of cold open. Absolutely. This felt really good. It's nice when the news cycle drops something really rich <laughs> on SNL and they can take it and make hay. And I think that they really found a fun way to run at this material. They found the core of the joke. They figured out that it really rested in the idea that R. Kelly digs his own grave the more he speaks and you know the more he's just allowed to sit there and show what a, a mess he is the less you're going to sympathize with him and because they found that and then you know heightened it with his little musical asides which it turns out you know he's just doing there in the midst of the interview and everyone can you know hear his inner monologue oh you can hear me yeah um all that you know little stuff on top of it to make it more humorous that builds on what was already a strong underlying joke and sure. that's why this worked so well and aside from leslie being really fumbly out of the gate this was 
I think flawless for a cold open. Like, I, I think this is exactly what you need to do. If you're going to grab a news story, figure out what the underlying joke is and make sure that everything else is in service of that. And then it's going to feel very cohesive and very satisfying when they finally get to the live from New York. So this, this was great. I was really, really happy to see the show get kicked off this way. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Let's take a look at our monologue. Idris Elba was a bouncer at Caroline's on Broadway. Hey, this was uh, a really different energy than where they've been coming from with monologues as of late. Okay. It felt very honest and personal and uh, definitely anyone who might not have known who Idris Elba was Mm -hmm. would at least come to like him after hearing a story like that. So it was a great way to introduce the host and kind of get a sense of of his energy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this was really effective at getting the audience on his side and really, yeah, setting the pace for the show, like giving you a sense of what he's going to bring as far as his energy level and just, you know, his demeanor. So yeah, as far as getting you acquainted with him and making you feel like now you've got a little bit of history with the guy and you get his perspective, it was really, really fun. And I I thought that he delivered it really, really well. Um, I'll I'll just go back to what I always look for (laughs) in a monologue, which is, does the host come out, take control of the crowd, pitch whatever it is they're pitching, and at the end of it, you feel like they've kind of commanded and, and brought everyone into their sphere and made you feel confident about what they're going to be able to do with the show. And I got all that from him. I felt like he seemed like he was really happy to be there. It felt very heartfelt and sincere. So at this point, everything's working for me. I'm really happy to jump into the show and see what he's going to be able to bring. Yeah, me too. Okay, so why don't we do that? Why don't we take a look at our first live sketch? We get the Twitter-produced game show. Can I play that? Yeah, this is uh, a pretty clever uh, little joke and jab at social media and the kind of uh, social justice warrior culture (laughs) that we're all uh, familiar with. Yeah. Yeah, the court of public opinion has gotten a lot louder, and it's really hard to dodge uh, criticism sometimes. Mm -hmm. If anything can you know, even remotely be deemed insensitive. (laughs) It can cause a uh, tweet storm as they call it. Mm -hmm. So I, I had some fun with this uh, and it seemed like Idris uh, needed a little bit of time to unstiffen. Mm -hmm. But by the end of it, I, uh, I thought he was doing well. Yeah. Wasn't anything amazing, but still fun to be had with it. Yeah. It was pretty smart. It made its point. Well, um, definitely some truth on display there. I liked how they approached it. I, I thought it was a, a pretty fun way to frame the the failings of Twitter. And I, I have my own beefs with Twitter. So, uh, I, I felt like I was connecting very well with this material. So this was fun. I don't think that this was a game show for the books. Um, I think it might be living a little bit in the shadow of what we saw last week, which I really thought was, <laughs> was great, great, great material. Um, right. and when you have Bill Hader in the mix, even better. So I don't think that this was quite as strong a way to start the show, but that's, you know, you, you can't really grade it that way. Um, just because they had a really stunning opener last week doesn't mean that this wasn't perfectly serviceable. And I thought it was. So this was definitely a win for me. Yeah, it might be standing in a shadow, mm-hmm. but that's purely circumstantial. Yep. But if I'm going to just kind of assess where I'm at with the show right now, I'm having a lot of fun. I feel like the cold open and monologue set a good energy for the show. And I felt like this is making me feel confident that we're in good hands. So why don't we uh, keep rolling along here and see if they can keep that energy going. You betcha. Yeah. After that, we get a pre-tape. Bok Bok's mascot is not internet urban legend Momo in a chicken suit. This is definitely (laughs) some odd material, especially for this early in the show. What'd you make of this one? Well, having heard about the whole Momo 
viral concept. Uh, yeah, it seems to have made a big wave, and SNL often does touch on those sure. viral phenomenons from time to time. Right. So it's it's not a complete surprise. And, uh, you know, in hindsight, it shouldn't be a surprise either that Kate would play Momo or, or <laughs> Bok Bok in this case. But let's face it, that's just Momo in a chicken suit. Right. Very similar to the way she distorts her face for uh, Jeff Sessions, for example, uh, with the help of a bit of makeup, it seems. Mm-hmm. You know, she uh, she pulled it off uh, eerily to an accurate degree. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, points for that. And it was not too long in length, so it didn't overstay its welcome because it was a pretty simple punchline to hit. So worked for me. Yep. A lot of the material moved pretty quick tonight, which I think was helping the show a lot. Yeah. This was great. I like when you take something like a horror aesthetic and then you mash it up with the vivid colors and, you know, fun and happy voiceover of a fast food chain commercial. So that in and of itself had legs and that worked well, even if you aren't really up on the whole Momo thing. So yeah, I thought that there was enough here to uh, have a fun little ride with. I am glad that uh, they edited it as tightly as they did, because I, th- I think it works better than being a more drawn out piece. So uh, this was good. High marks, especially for the editing. I think that's really what kind of put this one over the top. That's right. Agreed. Beautiful. After that, we get another live sketch. Henrietta and Anne attend a Microsoft PowerPoint workshop. Well, I got to say, this is a great place to start for a sketch. It's hard to find somebody who doesn't have that technologically impaired relative or friend. <laughs> sure. You know, my uh, my grandmother wasn't very good at uh, clicking the mouse and pointing it at things. So, <laughs> yeah, this is believable to me, mm-hmm. but that's why they knew they had to take it to the absolute max with just how inept they are with computers. Right. And that's where the real hilarity comes from. and. The shame played yes. up by Kate and 80, that is really the icing on the cake of it all. Just these performances really helped sell the whole thing. So I was having a good time. Yep, I agree. I don't have a whole lot to add. It was a really fun idea to explore, and I really thought that Kate and 80 delivered some really good performances. You genuinely feel bad for these women as their self-esteem just melts away and they have this, you know, breakdown and this confessional that nobody's asking for, you know, in the midst of this corporate workshop. Uh, That's really uncomfortable to watch, but really, really fun. And uh, I I thought this was great. Yeah. Let's keep rolling. We get a pre-tape. The Impossible Hulk. Dr. Bruce Banner transforms into an emboldened white lady whenever he is provoked. Wow. Well, I hope they don't get in trouble for this one. Uh, I know they're speaking about a certain type of woman, you know, a, a very entitled, <laughs> you know, Bob haircut. <laughs> Can I speak to your manager type? Right, right. Anybody who's worked retail would uh, recognize this type of f- public freak out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if they were going for a race angle, you know, where they he was getting pulled over by the police. It made some kind of point. It was a little fuzzy. Sure. But I I thought it was funny and uh, had a few laughs. Okay. I don't know how heavy they were looking to make a point about race in particular. I think it's just the, the joke that even a cop knows better than to mess with this particular type of crazy. Sure. So, I mean, you can read into it. Like, why is this black man being pulled over at all? Like if, if you want to find meaning in there, sure it's there. But I think, 
you know, the joke is just simply that, yeah, she's, she is going to bring chaos and drama to any situation that she's involved in. And you just want to be as far away from that as possible. And the cops are coming a mile away. <laughs> so, uh, I wasn't digging too deep there. Thought it was a lot of fun though. And I think it continues to solidify Cecily as the queen of train wreck women. You know, she has a deep bench of characters that all explore different ways that you can cause problems (laughs) for the people around you. And, uh, I just, I like that she has such a laser focus on these personality traits. And so she's handed this kind of material and she just knows exactly how to play it. Uh, she's really, really strong in these kind of roles. And I I applaud that. So I thought that was obviously the best part of the sketch was just how in touch she was with the the character. I thought it was a a fun idea to explore. I thought it was a good sketch overall. I, I liked it. Yeah. Agreed. All right, let's keep moving. The gold diggers of the WNBA trawl for sugar mamas at the Doubletree Hotel Bar. Nothing uh, super groundbreaking here, but it was a lot of stuff going on. You know, like the the tacky uh, wardrobe of the gentleman was, it was very Steve Harvey. And mm-hmm. I and I liked that angle they went for. Uh, you know, it kind of went with the whole gold digging for people making 60 to 90 grand a year. Yes. <laughs> Definitely sets the ballpark for where these guys are aiming for. Yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there was some fun use of levels on stage. Sometimes the illusion was broken, but uh, it was fun seeing them add and remove height from certain cast members. Yeah. Unless you're really looking for the gag, it it was pretty seamless, you know, especially like Cecily just coming in from the side there. You don't immediately get the idea that she's well behind the other guys and up on a platform. Uh, so yeah. I, I thought that worked pretty well. Uh, yeah. Fun little production trick there. Um, I liked where this sketch started. I liked the scene that they set. I liked the characters that they placed in the scene, but I don't feel like it went anywhere. Great. I feel like they explored the idea a little bit, had a little bit of fun with it, but there just wasn't anything that I was finding exceptionally funny about it. So I can't point to anything bad other than the fact that it was just, um, a little blah. Like it just didn't really have anything that really perked me up and made me say, Oh, you know what? That's, that's clever. What they're doing right there is like really smart. Um, it was just, you know, a a gender inversion of the idea of the gold digger. And then, like you said, the fun of the WNBA not being nearly in the same league (laughs) as, you know, the men's NBA when it comes to just the amount of gold that these guys could be digging for. So there was a really fun concept and a really fun starting place. I, I just don't think it went as far as I would have liked it to. Yeah. That's where I land on it more or less. All right. So uh, why don't we get off that? Why don't we take a look at our musical performances? Khalid performs talk. And then for his second number better. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot to say about Khalid. He's definitely a, a very good singer. Like mm-hmm. he can belt it. Sure. The songs listenable. Didn't hate him. Didn't fall in love with it either. But uh, yeah, it was, it was merely that just not my cup of tea, but I could see the talent in it. All right. Fair enough. Um, So I'm watching these performances and I'm, you know, looking for all the regular stuff that we like to comment on, you know, was it competent? Was it rousing? Was there just, you know, anything of note? Yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, he's ticking all the boxes. He's doing everything right. He's capable. It, It wasn't really like bold grand obnoxious staging. It was just a very simple staging. And I actually like that sometimes when I see it, Yeah, you know, there, everything was fine with it. So by the end of his second number, even after, you know, he really kind of, like you said, he belted a bit, he, he dug and, and really found some vocal power there at the end of the second number at the end of it. I'm thinking like, why am I so 
underwhelmed? Yeah. Why am I so underwhelmed on this? Um, because he's not doing anything wrong. Everything there should be like, yeah, that's, that's easy to call as a win. And yet I feel like so unsatisfied. And then it occurred to me, this is doing it music. And aside from, you know, the appropriate setting, I do not listen to doing it music. <laughs> like there's, there's nothing that he's doing that would ever be like on my iPod. There's nothing here that I would ever listen to just for the enjoyment of listening to music. This has a very specific purpose, at least as far as I'm concerned. So this to me feels like it's at its best when it's in the background and the lights are low and, you know, more entertaining things are happening. So I think maybe that's why I just, you know, don't really have anything to say about it. Cause it just, it's background music to me, but good background music. Sure. Okay. So that's- uh, if that's what he wants to do, he's, he's definitely killing it. Yeah. In that capacity. <laughs> that's I, I can't say anything bad about it. The, the guy certainly knows his craft and he's very talented and whatever he's doing, I'm sure it's working for someone out there. So rock on. That's what it is. Hey gang, did you know that our show is made possible solely by the support of listeners like you? It's true. And in order to keep the cast going for future seasons, we need to reach our goal of 100 Patreon supporters by the end of May. If you happen to be one of said awesome listeners, then please head over to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash SNL podcast and come on board. If you do, you'll get exclusive patron-only perks and rewards, including our members-only podcast feed that provides early access to extended cuts of each new episode that contain upwards of 20 minutes of additional discussion. If you're liking our show and you want us to stick around for season 45, then please head over to patreon.com forward slash SNL podcast and show us some love. And before we jump back into the cast, I want to give a shout out to Neil Weinstein from Seattle, Washington, who just came on board as one of our amazing repertory player patrons. Neil, thank you so much for your support. And now, back to the show. Let's talk weekend update. For their lead-in, Jost and Che discuss Paul Manafort's lenient four-year sentence. What did you think about this week's opening salvo? I thought we were getting uh, a little more energy out of Colin than Michael this week. Okay. I was loving Jost, though. He was having a good run of material there. Mm -hmm. I really liked how, you know, talking about Paul Manafort's uh, leniency and, you know, the fact that he's been said to have a largely blameless life <laughs> sure he really shed some light on that mentioning that he was he had committed a second crime while under house arrest for the third <laughs> sure. crime it makes you laugh but it also is a very good point mm. in argument against uh paul manafort getting four years versus 24 uh yeah it was indefensible and it was a lot of fun for them to pick that apart and just point out how ridiculous it is that anyone would try and justify a lenient sentence because of this guy's, you know, unimpeachable life. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, that's a, uh, that's definitely a lot of fun. I, I thought that Jost and Che were on fire this week. Um, che was a little bit low energy there uh, at points, but what he was saying was really, really sharp and fun. So I can forgive, you know, if, if it felt like maybe the energy was a little bit off because uh, I, I think they were speaking some truth this week and, and I really enjoyed hearing it. My one note on it was the Manafort stuff felt really, really, really good because up to this point in the show, we'd had basically no politics. Yeah. You know, we didn't have a Trump cold open or anything else that already tried to pick apart this topic. So when we get into weekend update, it feels like, yeah, this is their territory and they're the ones that get to own this story. Right. And that just made it feel a little bit better to me. And so I was really enjoying what I was seeing here. 
I thought pretty much all of their jokes went over really well. And I think the audience was really into it. We had a good crowd. That's for sure. Yeah. Let's take a look at Heidi Gardner as Goop representative Baskin Johns. And this time she's getting a little bit of backup from Gwyneth Paltrow as Pfeiffer James, <laughs> her uh, Goop superior. What do you make of Baskin Johns' second outing at the desk? Well, it uh, unfortunately didn't have too much more to add to mm. what we saw the first round. This seemed to exist only to tack on Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, as her supervisor of sorts right uh to basically do the same shtick now that is a often gone to idea for what to do with recurring characters we've seen it with uh anthony crispino sure ryan gosling had to go with that peter dicklidge has had to go with drunk uncle mm -hmm. so that's been seen before i mean the last time we've added characters to heidi gardner's weekend update bits we got one of the best things we saw right Matt Damon as uh, the boxer. Yeah, yeah, that was absolute gold. And uh, Gwyneth Paltrow is a, a decent performer. You know, she's she's been a good host in the past. But unfortunately, it just didn't give me enough new ground for me to uh, enjoy it fully. Sure. Yeah, I, I think this probably just exists because someone caught wind that Gwyneth Paltrow would be game to come on and have a little bit of fun. So they decided, let's take a run at it. You're right. The Matt Damon walk on was a lot more inspired and made a lot more sense for the character. Yeah. This started out. Okay. It was cool that when Che tries to trip her up with the same thing that derailed her the first time she's prepped, she's, she, she just gets right over it. Right. Like she doesn't miss a beat when he says, Oh yeah. And Gwyneth is probably watching. She's like totally ready to not fumble. So I kind of like that. And I kind of like that this time Che's being a bit more of a jerk about it. Like he's, he's intentionally trying to find ways to trip her up. Sure. So I was liking that. The problem was it didn't last too long. And then Gwyneth Paltrow's contribution I felt was just a, a little awkward. Like she wasn't quite as dialed into the performance that Heidi had established the first time around. So by making her kind of a carbon copy of Heidi just creates a contrast that I don't think works. And then it just seemed like they tried to get a little silly at the end, but didn't have too many more gags to really work in. So I think they were trying their best to just have a little bit of fun and not take it too seriously. But the end result wasn't nearly as enjoyable as the first outing. Oh, yeah. And I agree. Okay. All right. Um, but we get a, a lot of features tonight. Ooh. Next up, we have Pete Davidson discussing the R. Kelly Lifetime documentary. I thought this was standard Pete Davidson fare, and he did okay with it. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously it was, uh, getting some strong reactions <laughs> sure. regarding, uh, his comparison to the Catholic church about it all. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's not wrong, but, uh, it was serviceable stuff. And, uh, you know, I could have lived without the whole mention of his, uh, new romantic situation at the end, but that seems to be what people want to hear from Pete. So be it. Okay. I'm surprised that you're as casually pleased by it as you are because i thought that this was pretty brilliant and pretty fearless like even by pete davidson standards like he's he's delved into some serious topics on occasion and he's been willing to say some pretty provocative things but this just felt like him going for broke and saying you know what i'm i'm just i'm just putting it all out there and i don't think i'm gonna apologize this time like this just felt like pete saying his truth and uh I was really, really into it and I felt like he delivered it 
flawlessly. I, I felt like it flowed. It didn't feel like first draft stand up. I feel like pointing out the the stupidity of you know jumping on every person that turns out to be a creep but we have these long standing institutions that commit far more heinous crimes for <laughs> literally centuries yeah that is something that i think is worth hearing and i really enjoyed hearing that on snl and i really enjoyed hearing it from pete because he has a way of just casually throwing it out there like this is so obvious and if i'm you know this dumb stoner slacker and i can see the the truth of the situation then how can we not all you know get on board with this idea it just really seems smart and i think he really owned the material and i was ready to just like stand up and applaud at the end actually (laughs) even when he takes everyone to task for being so preoccupied with the age difference between him and kate beckinsale but is there anyone in hollywood on the male side of the equation that isn't dating, you know, younger women. So, I mean, this was just a whole lot of truth laid bare and, uh, I had a lot of fun with it. A lot of fun. Well, I had some fun too. Yeah. Larry King, Larry King and Larry King. That's a good one. <laughs> um, yeah, really well developed. Thought it was great, but let's keep moving here. Cause we get a third feature, Leslie Jones discussing her extravagant funeral plans. Thought that was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And Leslie, uh, was definitely, up to par with sure. her usual funny self and uh some of her funeral plans are no surprise to anyone who's gotten to know her mm-hmm. <laughs> uh yeah leslie has a big personality she likes to go big like this this makes sense yes yeah. but uh i loved how you know she came out on chase side tonight you know that gave her uh an opportunity to change the delivery a bit right play to their chemistry yeah. which is very different she don't know him like that she don't know him like that. So he's Mr. Che. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was that was a fun little spin to what we're usually used to seeing from uh, Leslie Jones's flirty side with Colin. Right, right. This is her professional side. This is as professional as Leslie gets, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, she went to some fun places with it. Uh, we don't need to go through all the gags, but there were some really good little moments that she touched upon uh, her love of Jason Momoa and uh, making sure that there was no uh, like Aretha Franklin level shenanigans afoot. She was going to do it her way on her term. She's going to be naked in her casket and all that. So uh, yeah, she covered a lot of ground and a lot of funny little bits in there. So uh, I can easily call this a win. I thought that was a really nice way to round out weekend update aqua man exactly uh yeah yeah this was good this was a really good weekend update and i think it kept the energy of the show up at a time when it really needed it because we'd had some fun material up front but the live sketches were starting to lag a little bit leading into weekend update so i think we needed a shot in the arm and i think that's what weekend update accomplished yeah good point excellent let's uh get into the back half of the show we get a live sketch premier league football pre-match commentators are joined by injured arsenal defender david the bruiser kuzman oh man yeah this is uh this is definitely a poor choice made by the powers that be uh (laughs) whoever put this guy on air yeah just because you're good at something doesn't mean you can talk about it with enough eloquence and uh presence that you should be given a microphone right yeah, I mean, there was a lot of cringe uh, here, a lot of frat boy humor, <laughs> but we're all meant to wink at each other and be in on it. It's a bit of a punch down to the jock types. Sure. But, uh, you know, it, it's a funny stereotype and uh, nobody's safe on these late night shows. Sure. It's it's definitely not flattering <laughs> yeah. you know, to this particular type of athlete, but it's also not untrue. Like we've seen a lot of the 
like post game locker room interviews where the interviewer will lob some really like lightweight questions at an athlete and they just got nothing <laughs> to offer. Right. I thought that was a fun starting point for the sketch. I thought that the character that Idris Elba was presenting there was really, really in tune with the material. And I felt like the way that Mikey and Alex were handling their straight man role was really, really competent. Their back and forth was tight. Their ability to be flummoxed, but keep it contained because they know they're on air. Like they're juggling a whole lot of competing needs in their performance. And they were handling that really, really well. So the back and forth in this was really, really sharp. The writing was really, really sharp. And I think everybody was bringing their best to it. And it was a lot of fun. I I really like these type of sketches where the setup is simple, but it's so much fun as it unravels. Um, I liked it a lot. Yeah. Likewise. Cool. Let's keep moving. We get a live sketch. The great Rodolfo performs his magic act with Phil and assistant Sheila. I thought this was uh, pretty fun. Idris uh, got a chance to ham it up. Mm-hmm. He, he has a very grandiose presence, especially with his natural accent. Mm-hmm. So as the great Rodolfo and assuming that larger than life magician role, he was well suited for that. Yeah. And I always love the sketches that give Leslie a chance for physical comedy. Like when she was the ninja. Mm-hmm. That was a great example. Just her trying to fulfill a dream that uh, she might be just not the right uh, right size for sure. in a literal sense. Yeah. Uh, I mean, watch her struggle like that was, was fun. The twist at the end doesn't really hold up, but that's <laughs> all good. It wasn't meant to be taken that seriously in the first place. So not a bad little sketch. Okay. Uh, I think I got to disagree with you on this one. I really wasn't digging this one. This one felt a little bit uncomfortable. Um, It is true that sometimes Leslie's at her best when she's doing physical comedy, but this one felt like it was more about the embarrassment of the character that maybe they're oblivious to just because they're so optimistic and gung ho to be the assistant. They don't maybe realize just how embarrassing this all is for them. I was just picking up on a lot of the uncomfortableness of what was unfolding on the screen. And on top of that, you have the narrative of the sketch that just doesn't really track, you know, cause at the end they tack on that easy out of, you know, I I'm paying you to kill my wife or whatever. So you gotta, you know, you gotta bring this thing home. That didn't make a whole lot of sense, especially when you go back and realize that, you know, he had her in a box and what's he doing. He's trying to avoid poking her, but she's still bleeding. And why isn't she reacting to the fact that she got stabbed? Like there's just a whole lot of logic flaws in this that kept pulling me out of it on top of it feeling a little bit just embarrassing for, for Leslie. So I don't know. I mean, I, I I really applaud the fact that she's game for anything and she'll just throw herself at the role. I can respect it, but I personally wasn't entertained by it because I just couldn't invest in it. So I can't count this one as a win. Fine. Okay. (laughs) Let's take a look at our 10 to one and see, uh, see where we land on this one. Sure. An aspiring actor lands a big role to the chagrin of one of his friends. Almost didn't enjoy it because Beck did such a good job. Okay. That behavior. I've seen people act like that (laughs) and it's like, they forget how to act like human beings. You know, they, they forget the first day of classes. I don't know. It's it's obvious to everyone but them that they should just step out of the room. <laughs> sure. So let's just bookend that. Overall, you thought this was a win? I thought it was a win. Uh, it was super short, probably cut down for time. But just to showcase that brilliant performance from Beck, uh, I was happy with what I got. 
yeah, this definitely was cut down for time. The the out that they had where he does his little whatever martial arts is karate. Yeah, yeah, and for whatever reason, everyone's super impressed by it. That is not how the sketch was supposed to go out. The real gag here was that after doing that really kind of like sad, unhirable karate performance, Jerry Bruckheimer walks in, played by Kyle Mooney, and says, "You're perfect. You know, we need a karate forward actor." For our new CSI show, you're in. And so he basically lands the job, despite the fact that he's probably the worst karate forward actor ever. And he gets his dream of being the next Jackie Chan. So this was supposed to go in a a fun direction. And it actually was kind of lighthearted, considering that sometimes these things are meant to be kind of like, this is a terrible character and you're not supposed to root for them. You're supposed to enjoy watching their downfall or whatever. That's not what this sketch was. This sketch was, you know, uh, you want it so bad. And you actually get it kind of despite yourself. So yeah, there was more there that we never got to see. Uh, I think that if we had seen it, it probably still would have been a win, but for what we saw as quick as it went, I was amused by it. I, I thought Beck really threw himself into his performance and that was enough for me. Exactly. Yeah. How much he committed to being that, you know, petulant little aspiring actor, but how, you know, well-intentioned all his friends were too. That was kind of charming. So, you know, even if we only got half a sketch, it was as good a way to round out the show as we were going to get tonight. And I I think it was okay. So uh, I'm good with how we left this one actually. Yeah, me too. Cool. All right. That's our rundown moment of the night. What do you got? I'm going to give it to R Kelly mistaking uh, a plant for a camera. (laughs) Okay. Yes. That made for a fun fake out for the uh, live from New York. Right. That uh, starts off the show. Mm -hmm. I just thought it was a funny jab at R Kelly and working it into the, uh, the actual uh, structure of the show was kind of, uh, it was clever and it was a, a fun little mix up. Sure. I'm going with Pete Davidson, reminding the world that for every disgraced R and B megastar, there is also a hundred defrocked priests. Um, Woo. Hey, that is uh, some poignant commentary. You don't get a lot of that on SNL, but I certainly perk up when I hear it. And uh, I thought he was on fire. I thought that was just really, really hard hitting, bold stuff. And, uh, I really, really hope that we don't get a Mia culpa from him on our next show. You know, uh, I don't know how the world's going to react to it, but I thought that that was definitely something worth saying. And I'm proud of the guy for saying it. Well, that's a moment. There you go. Uh, best sketch. I'm going to give it to the PowerPoint workshop. Okay. Might not be what you expected, but, uh, I thought this one had the most heart to it. Okay. (laughs) Definitely, uh, made me feel things and. It just went so bizarre in its uh, portrayal of technological incompetence that, yeah, it just had me in in knots. So got to give it that honor tonight. Fair enough. I was not expecting that, but I I respect it. I know you have a soft spot in your heart for old ladies. Um, So, hey, I can I can dig it. I'm going with Premier League football. I really thought that the back and forth of the commentators and David, the bruiser Kuzman was really, really sharp. I thought the writing was really good. I thought that end to end that had a really good flow and everyone just held it together very nicely. There just wasn't anything even slightly fumbly about it. And I think it was one of the better realized characters that Idris Elba painted tonight. Um, He did good work, but I just feel like he was really dialed in on this one and it just really worked for me. I was having a lot of fun with it. So, Hey, it's good enough for me. I almost picked it myself. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely a strong piece. For sure. Let's talk MVP. I'd like to give it to Keenan. Okay. 
I thought uh, he was great in the cold open. Mm-hmm. He's always a great host for the game show sketches right. and uh, also enjoyed him in uh, Gold Diggers <laughs> and uh, he did pretty well with the great Rodolfo sketch. Sure. Even though some of his uh, motives didn't make sense narratively. He just uh, had a lot to do tonight and a lot of the fun I had was from him. Mm-hmm. And uh, just extra points for how accurate he was able to mimic that uh, freak out from R. Kelly. Sure. That's uh, just a few reasons why I would pick him. Okay. Uh, no, that's a pretty compelling argument. I love Keenan, but we see so much of him and expect so much of him that sometimes you forget just how much of the weight he carries in an episode. I know. So he wasn't even in the running for me, but now that you say that, it's <laughs> pretty indefensible for me to not pick him. So I got I to gotta think here for a second. I wanted to give it to Pete Davidson. Because sometimes it's okay to give the MVP to just someone who makes the play. You know, they weren't yep. doing everything the whole game, but you know, they, they're the one that lands a touchdown or whatever it is. So I just felt like his part was really, really strong at the update desk. And because it was already the moment that I really latched onto as the high watermark for the night, it's just immediately what I gravitated towards for MVP. But you know what, now that you say it. It's got to be Keenan. You're right. He set the show off, right? You know, we needed to establish a good energy in the cold open and give us something fresh. And yep. we all knew that they were going to be addressing our Kelly and he just, yeah, he, he handled all that material masterfully. And then throughout the episode, even the, even the weakest sketches, um, he's still there doing his best to hold them together. You know, like the, uh, great Rodolfo sketch. You know, he's a prominent part of that, trying to bring it home there at the end and, and keep the energy going. Um, so yeah, even the ones that I didn't feel were working, he's still trying his best to save them. And, uh, he had a lot more, uh, you know, hits and misses tonight, especially in the first half. So, okay. You won me over. I'm going with Keenan. That's, that is the right choice. Awesome. Beautiful. On a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck. How would you rate this episode? Now, before you answered. Do you need me to give you a bit of a refresher on exactly how our scale works? Cause I know that there's a, a little bit of possible confusion there. Oh no, I have it. <laughs> okay. You sure? Yes. Okay. I get you. Okay. Get you. <laughs> All right. So what we're going to do here, <laughs> we're going to put it in the middle. I'm calling this one a decent. Okay. Yeah. It didn't soar beyond that for me. I did have a lot of fun as I would with any uh, acceptable SNL episode. Mm-hmm. I didn't think uh, it quite got to great, and maybe Idris needs a little more hosting experience to get it there. Mm-hmm. He didn't really strike me as a natural first-timer, which might have brought it down sure. a notch, but I still had fun overall, so can't call it a week. Definitely not a train wreck. I think decent is fair. Yep. I think you're right on there. This show had the core pieces that a good SNL episode needs. It had a solid cold open to kick things off right. It had an effective monologue. It wasn't one for the books, but it makes you like the host and it makes you feel like, okay, you know, this is good. I can get on board with this dude. He seems likable enough. Uh, so it had that working for it. And weekend update was really firing. So, you know, all the tent poles were there. And then if you go through the show sketch by sketch, there was a lot more hits and misses. And even though almost none of the material got into like great territory, we had very few moments that bottomed out. I can only think of a couple that I think I would peg as weak sketches, which, you know, for whatever we had, you know, eight to 10, that's pretty good. So yeah, I'm right there with you. I think that this was a steady, competent, very decent show. Perfect. Beautiful. That's a cast. 
Thanks as always to Steve Finn. And thanks as well to our most generous patrons, Sam Bowers, Aaron and Trader, Kalen Pope, and Neil Weinstein. If you're enjoying our show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whichever app you prefer to listen on. Your subscription helps us grow, and your support is greatly appreciated. We'll be back in three weeks when SNL returns with host Sandra O oh and musical guest Tame Impala. Until then, this has been episode number 72 of the Saturday Night Live After Party Podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night, and have a pleasant tomorrow. Thank you, Khalid. Make some noise. And Buena Paltrow. Thank you so much, everybody. Had an amazing time. What an incredible cause.